Hey, if you're a workplace coach or work in HR or anyone working with challenging conflict situations at work, we've created a coaching method that any coach can learn. The goal of New Ways for Work Coaching is to help employees or whoever is taking it to learn personal relationship skills for productive relationships. Essentially, it gives employees a chance to learn new skills and to change before big decisions are made about their employment. Sometimes they're just lacking skills and New Ways will teach them. If you'd like to know more about it, we offer our New Ways for Work coaching training two to three times a year. And these trainings are a combination of on-demand, which you can watch 24-7, and Zoom training with Sherilyn Knapp and Bill Eddy on the on-demand portions. You'll find the link for this in the show notes below. Sign up at highconflictinstitute.com forward slash upcoming dash courses or email us at info at highconflictinstitute.com. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging human interactions, those with someone who may have a high-conflict personality. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. We're the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In this episode, we are joined by our very special guest and colleague, Sandra Just, to talk about the current state of conflict in the education atmosphere. As we've heard many put it lately, the rubble that's being left in the wake of high-conflict destruction. Now, we have a couple of notes first. If you have a question about a high-conflict situation or a person, send them to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or on our website at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast, where you'll also find the show notes and links. And please give us a rate or review and tell your friends, colleagues, or family about us, especially if they're dealing with a high-conflict situation. We'd be very grateful. Now, let's talk about high-conflict situations in education. Today, we're joined by our very special guest, Sandra Just, who's based in Colorado. She has a wealth of experience in the education field. She's the founder of Just Look Within Coaching and Consulting, where she provides executive leadership coaching. And she's the very first graduate of our brand new certification course, Conflict Influencer Certification. Sandra has 32 years of public education experience, giving her a lot of perspective on just about every aspect of supporting the needs of schools, whether it be teachers, administrators, parents, or even school boards. She's been a teacher, an administrator. She's had supervisory roles with principals, human resources, and lots of other roles. After retiring in 2020, she's been consulting with school districts across the country and is currently director of HR at a school in Colorado. So, Sandra, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience as a seasoned, and I know I shouldn't say that because we're all pretty seasoned at this point, but a seasoned educator, um, which basically means you have a lot of experience and a lot of uh, information to share. Uh, please tell us now something about you that I haven't already said that you think our listeners might like to know. Wow, that's that's always an interesting question, Megan. Um, I think I would just add to that that, you know, on top of being an educator, have lived some of these very same challenges with my own children. Um, the mom of a special needs student with Down syndrome who um, sadly has passed, but have have lived many challenges with him. 
um, and a lovely young daughter who is 30 living in the Bay Area who didn't always find education that much fun, even though her mom was an educator. Wow, very interesting. I did not know that about your son. And, you know, I'm really sad to hear that. So thank you for sharing that with us. And um, it gives it even more depth. So let's just move right into the questions and discussion. You know, we've been, as you know, more than probably any of us in the education realm throughout this pandemic, which is now at a little over two years, uh, you know, the fight's been on in the education world. We hear about it on the news. We hear, see it on social media, you know, and especially, you know, in education uh, and most most especially in public education, um, it's always been at the crossroads of many social and cultural changes from, you know, back in the day, busing students across town to benchmark academic standards for school funding, to which books are approved for teaching classes and a lot of things like that. And then with COVID, the conflict flame started burning even brighter as parents and schools and even unions fought over and, and continue fighting over masks, vaccinations, virtual classes, school shutdowns, reopenings, and even other issues like gender issues and parents' rights um, over the last few years. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And Bill, I know you wanted to just start right off about how the teachers are coping. Yeah. So tell us how teachers are coping with all of this. What helps keep them going? I think it's been um, definitely some challenging times, right? Um, Megan, you you noted a few of the many layers that are part of everyday world for teachers. You know, when the, the pandemic first started and we all really didn't know what we were doing as we moved to online education, there seemed to be this swell of support for educators, right? People were so excited that their students could keep learning and, you know, teachers were in this new space and, you know, there just, there just seemed to be such um, good feeling. And I think people held hope that that wave might keep going and that really hasn't been the case. Um, as we've returned to in-person, I think there was joy at seeing people again, the human connection. Um, but I don't know that we really figured out how to transition in well. I think we stepped back in and just thought life would go back to normal. And life wasn't normal. We had faced a multitude of issues, you know, watched so much violence around our nation. And People wanted to be well, but we didn't really make a plan to be well and move forward in a way. And so I think really what we see now are very exhausted individuals who are limping to the finish line of a school year. And while I think we all want to believe time and the summer will be beautiful, I think time is a beautiful gift. But I think we, we have some things to resolve about how we keep people whole and healthy so that we can support students before we move into next year. There's, there's a, lot, a lot there. Back to normal, which hasn't completely ever happened yet. <laughs> yeah. How are teachers responding, you know, and, and reacting to this? Is there a lot of attrition that you're seeing? There certainly is some, right? Many folks, I think, have at least reflected 
right, on is this their continued pathway? I think this is a calling for so many people that while tired and exploring and reflecting, they still want to continue. They want to find the answers. They want to support our students. But there is there is certainly some people that are just saying it's an, it's enough. I have to look in another way. I have to look in another place and top that with we're not necessarily growing and creating as many teachers as we need in this nation right now. There will certainly be challenges with filling the roles to support on top of finding systems that support the wholeness of everyone. Yeah, we you know we've we've been hearing some questions um and and I guess just stories from teachers who are saying that reporting that they're they're being threatened physically where parents used to kind of stop themselves with maybe some cursing or yelling uh now they're actually you know really threatening them with physical altercations or physical threats of harm and maybe even going as far as enact, acting that out um do you hear anything about that we certainly hear cases of that right i would say we definitely hear more of the verbal spewing maybe for lack of a better word when people are very frustrated again i think our parents are are in a state as well right everyone wanted the world to be normal and my students go back to school and there's events and things look great and they're going to do amazing work and we've all struggled with going back into that flow parents have struggled going back into work and integrating back and forth and I think all of that, plus again, just all that's going on in the nation and the world have people in a, in a state where it's very difficult to articulate all their feeling. And sadly, it comes out in this direction in spaces where there is some, dare I say, a space of safety, right? There is some comfort in, you know, feeling like, School is a place you can belong and should belong. And I think, you know, it comes out there and um, can co- create some really difficult, uncomfortable scenarios for people to have to work through and be able to move forward. Yeah. So this kind of leads into the question of parents' relationship with teachers, and especially around child discipline. So when I remember when I went to school, my parents always agreed with the teachers. Even even if they were wrong, I had to follow what the teachers said, had to do what they told me to do. Nowadays, you get some children can do no wrong, and their parents will get into conflicts with the teacher over discipline, and the child doesn't really learn necessarily a good lesson from that. But I'm not clear how much of a problem this is. So is this is this a big problem, or is this like one parent out of a class of 30 that has a problem like this? What are you seeing and hearing? I think it is it is a challenge spot, right? I wouldn't say that's necessarily the norm. Right. I do think that most parents are are trying to figure out that balance with schools. They want it to be a place of connection. But there are definitely situations out there where it can be a real challenge in finding that balance, in building that relationship and building trust 
so that there can be a real plan to support the student to move forward. You know, I appreciate, Bill, what you said. My parents very much the same way. I think it probably scared me enough I didn't really get in trouble because I knew if I got in trouble, that would be problematic, right? Someone would tell my parents. Right. I just didn't want that. There were probably times where, you know, that wasn't the best dynamic either, right? That there were situations that could have used conversation and had better resolutions, but that was how we were raised. That was how it was handled. In an ideal space, we get to a space where everyone has their voice, but there's a respect and an understanding of each other so that we can model and talk through disagreements. You know, the ultimate hope of any, when we use the word discipline, is correct what's not going right for the future. And how do we get to that balance spot, I think, is where we're feeling challenged. We sometimes land on one side, we land on the other side. And how do we build that relationship so that we all feel safe and healthy? And most importantly, that the student is seeing a model of how to resolve things and learn and grow themselves. Right, right. Since we teach conflict resolution, we really want the next generation to be better than ever at this. And some of today's world isn't teaching the better ways, but hopefully the teachers are and most of the parents. I think everyone, right? We, we always say everyone wants the best for their child. Every teacher came into this because they want the best for children. Sometimes we model that in different ways or we articulate that in different ways. And we have to find that that spot of communication. And I think in the land of Zoom, while we've come out of it, we've lost some of those personal connections, right? We really had a distaste for Zoom in the beginning, thinking, how in the world could we ever communicate like this? And now, and I even find myself doing this, well, I'll just set up a Zoom meeting. It'd be far quicker than, you know, running over and talking to somebody. And then I have to pause and say, we've lost that human connection of looking each other in the eye, of having the conversation, of letting the other person really see what we're feeling. That is just something that we have to have when we're in the human business. Yeah, that's that's so true. And in fact, our our team at HCI just held our first ever in-person team retreat. And, you know, we've been working remotely for our entire existence, even though Bill and I would get together sometimes and we'd see each other on the road once in a while and we'd do some co-training. We typically didn't see most of the people that support all of our work at HCI. Um, So we held this this meeting and I think the biggest takeaway I had from it was that dimension, the the in-person dimension, after being professionals on Zoom, you know, we, we, we got that down pat. But there's just something different when you both observe or all observe something together, you know, somebody, uh, you know, taking a dive in the ocean or whatever it is. Now you have something other than just what you're seeing on the screen in front of you. You can, you've see, observed something and you can have a conversation about it and you just learn so much more and you have that connection. And connection is 
really one of the key fundamental principles we pre we teach here at HCI is people need to feel connected. So I think in this this era of Zoom, while it's been really wonderful in so many ways and, you know, been kind of a godsend, um, we still really need the in-person connection. Bill, would you agree? Absolutely. <laughs> You're the guy that came up with this. With the, yeah. the C, uh, the C in your cars method is is connecting. And, and Absolutely. I used to really focus a lot more on calming and it really over time occurred to me that it's you connect with the person to calm the person. And that's true with everybody, but especially high conflict people. And that's so that's what we teach. We teach parents so they can do that with each other. And I think uh, more and more that teachers and other professionals learn this, the more they can calm people down pretty quickly. Uh, we find within about 30 seconds, a good ear statement with empathy, attention, and respect can really calm somebody down. And now you can get into problem solving. And it's about the issue, not about that you're a hateful, evil person. Uh, we want to get past that. And and so that ear statement essentially is the connecting mode, right? It, you use an ear statement to connect with someone instead of arguing with them. And therefore, you start to build a team together against whatever the issue is of the problem, whether it's real or perceived. And now we're, we're working together on resolving this instead of fighting each other. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, with teachers that so much is the role modeling and so this is uh, something I know, Sandra, you you not only know about, but end up uh, supporting principals and teaching teachers, et cetera. It's critical. And I think part of our brain and being knows that, right? We know that calming is the right thing. I I think there sometimes are just those challenges that people are feeling of putting all that internal feeling they're having aside to get to a greater outcome. And that's, that's where I think the tools, especially, you know, from the influencer course, were really helpful reminders that it's very easy just to get caught up in our own emotion and need. And that feels fabulous for two seconds. <laughs> But it doesn't get us resolution. And when we don't have some resolution or support for the other person, we really don't end feeling good. And just, just a quick uh, add-on here. You've emphasized the word emotions. And I think that's so much part of what we see is trying to calm emotions and that in real per in real life, seeing people in person, the role model of parents and teachers, et cetera, is that emotions are contagious. Positive emotions are contagious, negative emotions. And I my, one of my concerns is with Zoom and isolation that there's so much that people saw on their screens of unmanaged emotions um, that that became contagious. And hopefully as kids settle back into school, the realities of real life and calming each other's emotions uh, will kick in and hopefully, you know, six months or a year from now, we'll see things be calmer. Which I guess heads into another question uh, for Megan. 
Yeah, I, one of the biggest topics we hear about is, you know, bullying. <laughs> and uh, I think schools are not immune from that. And, uh, you know, from our understanding, bullying in schools was decreasing until COVID. But now with children back in the classrooms, bullying seems to have picked up. So I guess, Sandra, the, the big question is, are, are, what are you seeing and hearing? And, um, you know, is, is that accurate? And if so, how should bullying be handled in schools? What can parents do? What can teachers do? Administrators do? I think that's a, that's a great question. And I will say my, my most recent have experiences have been more adults focused than students. So I don't, I don't maybe have the, you know, most recent um, pulse on this, but, but I can say, you know, we continue to see and hear, of course, about students having issues with each other. I do think there is still a very strong line of this behavior happening through social media um, that that has continued on throughout COVID. And that's where there were some bumps. Students began to have those pressures with each other via social media. Um, those continue. I think, again, it is, you know, having a pulse on what is going on with the student being able to provide that support, hear the story, if they're telling a parent, having the parent share, that communication is so critical to finding resolution. If a student is enduring whatever inappropriate behavior from another person, um, sadly, we see that continue because adults don't always know. And that just creates so much anguish and pain for a student. And it really creates anguish and pain for a parent when that finally comes to them. And so that's where I think we see the greater escalation because there's frustration. Nobody wants to see their child be hurt or in pain, right? And ultimately, no school leader wants to see a child in that place. So... I wish there was this easy fix. I think the first step is communication, right? Problem solving, having systems to report. Those kind of structures are just critical. And then really that follow-up and after learning by all parties, right? We want this again to be a learning experience by a student who maybe bullied or behaved inappropriately toward another student. How do we stop, make sure people are safe, and then help teach so that we can find out what's creating the root of that issue with the other student to, to behave in such a way. And so I think it has to come from both sides, making sure the student who's enduring any pain is taken care of first, and then ensuring there's some teaching and growing on the other part, if we really want to stop this behavior. So it sounds like a learning experience rather than deciding who's to blame. The reality is pieces of both, right, end up happening. There often are some consequences, right, dependent on all the facts of the scenario. But then I do think we have to move into that learning phase as well, because it's possible without that teaching nothing changes, right? Consequences don't always cause everyone to change. And so it's consequence, perhaps, and teaching, but we have to do the and teaching part. 
Excellent. And that's that's in many ways what we teach, because we do teach about setting limits and consequences, but the focus is on the future. And learning skills, especially for kids, is the way to go. You know, I was uh, curious about, you know, the role of parents in the topic of school bullying. And it, it came to, to my mind because, you know, just recently here in 2022, we've had a um, a shooting in, in Buffalo, New York, by a young man who I believe is still a teenager. And uh, they subsequently found his uh, journal entries or a diary. And there was something that really struck with me, and I've saved it. And it's, quote, Promise me if you have a child, you will be there and you will be close. Be a friend to your child and make sure they know that you will always help them. Talk about their problems and ways to solve it and never make them feel bad for coming to you. It just really kind of pierced my heart (laughs) to think that this child was in some pain. I wonder if, you know, what role parents can have in in school bullying. And I don't know if this child was bullied or if he wasn't, but it, it, it did strike me. Um, so it, we've talked about kind of the, the student's role and the school's role. What if a parent, you know, um, what role do they have? And have you seen something, you know, like a positive impact where parents have been involved and understand this and have been, you know, a sounding board for their kids and have helped them focus on the future? Yeah, I mean, I think parents are critical, right? We, we as educators spend some daytime hours with students, right? And we, we know that's a big portion of the day, but parents are home with them all night, weekends. They've grown them. They've raised them. They're with them on vacations. They are the most critical step in that communicator, right? And we, I will say this as a parent, I think we all want to we, we want our students to come to us. We want our children to come and put everything down. But I know I've been in places as a parent where I'm sure my attitude on certain days wasn't as receptive as it could have been, right? It could have turned my child away. So I'm not going to tell you anything today. You seem, you seem like you're in a mood. We've all been in that space. But if we can create that with our children, then there is always a safe place to land. And as educators, we hold that role too. You know, we have to create that bond to be that safe place and that additional outlet so that we're teaming together. If we work as partners with the student, the sky's the limit. If we don't, we can create roadblocks we didn't mean to create by simply our you know, poor communications, resolving in a way that didn't meet everybody's needs, you you name it. And so I just think parents are so, so important. And as parents, again, we find it much easier to be involved with our younger children than our older children. Mm. And my personal finding is they need us as much or more when they're older. They're dealing with a lot and they don't know how to process it. And if we don't make that space between educators and parents, right, other, you know, activities students are involved in, those adults, that's a really difficult place to be if you've got nowhere to turn to process. That's a really good point. We, we often forget that the older kids really need that connection 
and contact and supervision, et cetera. So moving on to adults, school board meetings nowadays have been getting a lot of attention probably for the wrong reasons. That seems to be a forum for public conflict and extreme behavior. What what mechanisms have school boards adopted to help manage these meetings with uh, disruptive outbursts, profanity, slurs, etc.? It seems like every forum we have anymore is a possible place, right? For it reminds disruption. me of kindergarten. <laughs> right. um, I think, you know, I go back to this space. Many, many school board meetings have been held by Zoom in an effort to not have, you know, large groups come together. I think, I think we're transitioning more to, you know, more and more to in-person. But again, we've had that Zoom layer. Uh, where, you know, we have our frustration of the issue, perhaps frustration of technology for those who don't, you know, love all the technological spaces. And, you know, the very system of school board meetings often is there is public comment, um, but you need to sign up. You have a very short period of time. You're cut off. It works for the flow of the meeting. Right. It makes complete sense when you think of a meeting and all that the school board has to do. I can see probably from someone who wants to speak that can feel a little challenging when they feel like their voice is being cut. And so I don't know that there is an easy space to this, but I think it is you know, letting people know the limits ahead of time, ensuring that transparency so there is not a shock or surprise. Um, again, reminding people of the structures. I think it's a lot of those reminders that we can sometimes feel like almost a little um, degrading because we repeat them and we, we, we think we shouldn't or don't need to repeat them to adults. And yet I think they're helpful because we know what to expect in a meeting. And so I think in a forum like that, that is really necessary and important. And sometimes, to be honest, we just have to remind each other, you know, if you're speaking, please have your camera on. We need to see you. We need to be able to see your emotion and your feeling. So I think that's another reminder. And then, you know, while we may not like it, those reminders to silence while people are talking, if it feels like there's a lot of background noise. You know, we, we've done it in public before. We have to have some of those same pleasantries so voices can be heard in Zoom. Interesting that you've emphasized structure, because that's one of the things we emphasize, especially in high-conflict situations. If people don't have the internal structure, then we need to provide the external structure. I'd like to just real briefly read something I read in this morning's paper. I'm in San Diego, and this is the San Diego Union. It's the front page, and it was talking about board meetings. And one thing it mentions was a court case 30 years ago, uh, White versus the city of Norwalk. And it says in here, 
it talks about how at public meetings, speakers don't have an unfettered right to say whatever they want, whenever they want to, because it can become a disruption. If speech is irrelevant, repetitious, lengthy, speaking out of turn, refusing to leave the podium, hateful, obscene gestures, thoughts of harm, those are all considered disruptions. And Generally, what they're saying is that these kinds of meetings are allowed to have more limitations than necessarily standing on the corner of a park saying whatever you want to say, that these have a purpose. And so, you know, free speech does have some limitations on it, just like you can't yell fire in a theater. So I just wanted to kind of give my my pep talk for uh, that I think school boards really do deserve the right to have structure, and I'm glad to hear they're finding ways to do that. Yeah, and be respectful to, to each other and get all that structure in there. So are teachers and administrators getting more training in conflict resolution these days? I think that's that's still kind of a mixed bag. You know, as we moved into the pandemic, we certainly put um, in education a far greater emphasis on social emotional learning, right? Providing those opportunities via Zoom. Those priorities I've seen have continued as we've returned in person. And so I think that is extremely positive, right? That we're putting... Um, in place curriculums uh, for students and that expression. I think it depends uh, from district to district whether all of that training has floated up to a teacher and, and or those supports. And I think definitely, you know, educators are ones who love to learn, right? We're continuing to learn. I think it would be an amazing tool to have in the toolkit as we just face the many challenges we're having right now. It's another, it's another added layer of protection and connection, and I would hope to say resolution as well. We need to help, you know, teachers and administrators learn how to deal with all kinds of conflict now. And um, I think even more than in the past, because there's been so much poor role modeling, you know, on social media or in, you know, movies and, and TV. And, um, you know, maybe they didn't get quite the the role modeling that they, they should have. So um, I think it'd be great to, to support them in ways, especially as people become potentially more hostile or, you know, aggressive in their dealings with teachers and administrators. So we just want to give a big shout out to anyone in the education field. We know you guys have really, really had a a tough couple of years here. And I've heard from a few teacher friends who have talked about the exhaustion of teaching on Zoom and trying to, you know, motivate students and, and, you know, while educating them and making sure they're really getting everything done and getting getting the message through to them that they're they're trying to do. So, you know, big mad props to all of you, and we wish you you know a lot of a lot of uh, encouragement and uh, for the coming school year. And um, I I'm, I think maybe next year will be even better than this year. You've got a lot of support from us, of course. I feel like we should be banging pots and pans for teachers. So really, best wishes with all of that. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to hear, you know, your uh, 
your input and um, tackling some some tough subjects. And you'll find the link to Sandra's website in the show notes, along with a link to the Conflict Influencer course and to um, we have a, a an audio of high conflict people in education. We'll put that in there as well. And it's Bill talking about how to handle some high conflict situations in that field. And then we'll put a few links to our books like Biff and Calming Upset People with Ear and It's All Your Fault in the show notes. In next week's episode, we are going to go into a topic that I find really interesting and whether it's a good idea to tell the judge, the HR manager, the principal, the mediator, or just about anyone um, that the other person or, you know, in a, you're in a dispute with is high conflict or that they actually do have a diagnosis or you think that they do. <laughs> so um, we get asked this question so many times. And so we think it's a good time to talk about it. It's a big issue. And we'll, we'll do our best to tackle it. So in the meantime, send your questions to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. And we'd love it if you tell your friends about us and really be grateful if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next week, have a great one and keep learning about high conflict behavior and situations so you can um, manage it, influence it, and have a peaceful life. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Our show.